Turn, if you would please, to Romans chapter 14. We're looking at the subject, why we choose the things we do. While you're turning, we note that each of us make a multitude of choices every day. These choices are based on a variety of factors. For time's sake this morning, we're going to consider five different areas wherein we make decisions. Now, of course, there are many, many factors that go into decision-making. But for this morning, we're going to look at five different thoughts. Well, we start out here in Romans chapter 14 and note one of the ways in which we choose the things we do is based on our preference. We choose things because, you know, I like doing it this way. I like these clothes. I like this color. I would ask you this morning, what made you sit in the spot you're sitting today? Now, some might say, but this is my spot. <laughs> well, that's okay. But others, you know, I see we move around from time to time. So some like to be, be by the door. Some like to be away from the door. Some in the front, some in the back. It's interesting. We have preferences. You know, when, gentlemen, I hope you know your wife's favorite color, her favorite flower. I was listening to a story about a marriage conference, and the speaker was talking about the importance of knowing your spouse. He said, for example, gentlemen, what's your wife's favorite flower? And one one fellow leaned over to his wife really confident, and he said, gold medal, right? Different flower. But anyway, that's, uh, we have, I'm sorry, you just got that, okay? I'm sorry. We have different preferences, we have different likes and dislikes, but does my preference overrule your preference? Or does your preference supersede mine? The answer to that is no. If someone says, what's your favorite color? You realize there's no right answer. It's what you like. Well, Paul addressed this in Romans chapter 14, dealing with this subject of preferences. Notice verse 2. I'm not going to read the entire passage, but we'll just pull out several verses here. Notice verse 2. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. This has to do with the the argument over whether or not it was appropriate or not to eat meat sacrificed to idols that people purchased in the marketplace. Verse 3 says, Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Notice verse 5. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded of his own mind. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. Verse 11. For as it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then... Every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Paul was addressing the subject of preferences here. Preference as to what was appropriate to eat or what people felt wasn't appropriate to eat. Preference as to specific days. Some people celebrated some holidays, others did not. Some people held some days as being more important than other. Let me ask you this. What's the most important day of the week? You say, well, Sunday, the Lord's Day. No, the most important day of the week is whatever day it is. This is the day the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. 
Now this, of course, Sunday, the first day of the week, we ought to prefer to be in God's house. But the idea is every day is important to the Lord. Everything we do, we ought to do for the purpose of pleasing the Lord because one day we're going to give an account of ourselves to Him. So whether or not we hold one day as being more important than another, whether or not someone chooses to eat meat and another person chooses not to, the issue is you have to follow your own conscience. You have to follow your own conviction, your own belief. We have preferences. Some of us prefer to wear colorful clothing. Some of us prefer not to. Think about the the preferences, where you live, where you work. You realize where you go to church is a choice. Thank God you made the right one. But nonetheless, it's a choice. We prefer to do certain things or to not do things. So one of the factors that we consider, first off, we make choices based on what we're interested in, what we like. Think about the first time you saw the man or the woman you're married to. Yeah, there you go. For some, it's love at first sight. There was just something about her. There was something about him that struck you, that caught your eye and said, I like him. I like her. Well, as we go through life, we will make choices based on things that appeal to us. Israeli Prime Minister Golda Meir once said, it isn't really important to decide when you are very young just exactly what you want to become when you grow up. She said it's much more important to decide on the way you want to live. Choose to live in a way that you have a clear conscience before the Lord, you are right with God, and you can walk with Him. Choose to like the things that are pleasing to the Lord. There are a lot of attractions and distractions in this world today. We need to be careful not to give our attention or our affection to those things that will draw us from the Lord. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Second, consider this as you turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. Another factor involved in this matter of why we choose the things we do would be that of pressure. First, preference. The second, pressure. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 states, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. You know, sometimes we make decisions, we make choices based on the pressure of outside influences. Someone might say, I had to do it. Everyone expected me to do it. They made me do it. Be careful. When choosing based on pressure, we're giving in to someone else's wishes and expectations for our lives. We're reminded in Ephesians chapter 4 to not be like children, but we're to be mature. We're to be grown up. We're to excel in this matter of discernment and not be tossed about with every new doctrine, every new teaching, every new idea that comes down the pike. James chapter 1 verse 6 warns us, but let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Then Hebrews 13 9, we're admonished 
be not carried away with divers and strange doctrines. We can't be guilty of allowing other people to make decisions for us or other people to push us to make decisions. We see a lot of that going on in the political arena now. People feel their idea, their opinion, their viewpoint supersedes all others and you have to agree with them and vote for the politician of their choice. I as pastor don't have the right to tell you who to vote for. I do encourage you to vote and I encourage you to vote for that person that you believe God would have you to vote for and vote for that person who's going to do everything possible to help our nation, our state, or our community. I would encourage you to vote conservative, but you still make that choice on your own. Don't allow me to make your choices for you. Don't allow someone else. You know, we see this a lot with adult parents and they allow their children to drive their schedule or set their agenda. Be careful. Be careful you don't allow others to keep pushing you in a direction you don't want to go. We see that in workplaces as well. Some of us remember what it was like and maybe some of you still work in a situation where your company will tell you what charitable organizations you can support. Or what political candidates you have to back. We see this involved heavily in unions. But we do see that in smaller businesses as well. Make your own choices. Make your own decisions. We see this thought emphasized throughout scripture. Remember the story of Peter and John. How they were told by the elders. uh, The Jewish elders that they couldn't preach. They couldn't speak in the temple. And yet they found them doing it again. And they challenged them on it. And they said saying, didn't we not straightly command you that you should not teach in his name? And then in verse 29, the response is, we ought to obey God rather than man. Understand, we have a responsibility because we're accountable to the Lord to make decisions based on what we think God would have us to make rather than what everyone else wants us to go along with. We talk about peer pressure and we think about teenagers, but you know, Adults deal with that as well. William Jennings Bryan said this, Never be afraid to stand with the minority which is right, for the minority which is right will one day be the majority. Always be afraid to stand with the majority which is wrong, for the majority which is wrong will one day be in the minority. Stand up for what's right. Don't let others make your decisions for you. President Ronald Reagan relays a story from his childhood that emphasizes this very well. His family growing up was quite poor. His dad was an alcoholic, a heavy drinker, and they oftentimes did not have money for things. And one day his aunt offered to buy him a pair of new shoes. She took him to the uh, local cobbler, and uh, the cobbler said to him, do you want square-toed or round-toed shoes? Well, the little boy was bashful. As Reagan tells this story, and he, he didn't answer. Well, the cobbler said, I'll give you a few days to think about it, and uh, then we'll take the final measurement. You tell me what you want. Came back a few days later, same thing. You want square-toed or round-toed shoes? He wouldn't answer. Cobbler said, okay, come back in a few days. They'll be ready. When he went back to pick up his shoes, he was surprised to see one shoe had square toes and the other shoe round-toed. And the cobbler said, This will teach you never to let people make decisions for you. Reagan said, I learned that if I don't make my own decisions, someone else will. 
one reason he went on to be such a great president. We need to be careful not to allow our choices be driven by pressure, pressure from others. Another one, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. You know, we allow preference to guide our choices. Sometimes we allow pressure to guide our choices. What about pride? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. This is the type of person who says, I can handle it. I can do it. I'll do it my way. I'm going to do it my way, and nobody's going to tell me any different. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 10, 12 warns us, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. We're reminded in Proverbs, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Sometimes we make decisions because we're convinced we're right and everyone else is wrong. Be careful with that attitude. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 says, Now is touching things offered unto idols. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. The knowledge, talent, strength, and ability that each of us possess, we get from the Lord. Be careful to not be so proud, to be so lifted up, to be so puffed up, to think that what we have and what we do is because of our own strength, our own ability. The idea, the concept that we might lift ourselves up by our own bootstraps, only leads to failure. Well, there are a lot of folks who make decisions today because of pride. I believe pride, though God does not categorize sin, I personally believe pride would be at the top of the list. It is pride that drove Satan to rebel against God. It is that same pride that moves us as Christians to make choices counter or contrary to the Word of God. Pride. When making choices based upon pride, we're making a foolish, foolish choice. Two motives, two choices. In the spring of 1883, two young men graduated from medical school. The two differed from one another in both appearance and ambition. Ben was short and stocky, and Will was tall and thin. Ben dreamed of practicing medicine on the East Coast, while Will wanted to work in a rural community. Ben begged his friend to go to New York with him where they could make a fortune. Will refused. His friend called him foolish for wanting to practice medicine in the Midwest. But Will said, I want first of all to be a great surgeon, to be the very best if I have the ability. Years later, the wealthy and powerful came to the Mayo Clinic to visit with William Mayo. One chose to serve self the other chose to serve others. Pride will cause me to place myself before you, before my family, before my Lord. How we need to be careful not to allow pride to drive us to make decisions that are going to be harmful along the way. We see many examples in the scripture of those who allowed pride to get the better of them. Think about Absalom. 
Absalom, son of David, king of Israel. What an opportunity he had to be a great servant of the Lord. But he chose because of his pride and his arrogance to rebel against his father and actually to resist his father to the point where David fled his kingdom. And Absalom tried to usurp the authority of the kingdom from his father David. We know how it ended. It didn't end well for him for Absalom died at the hands of David's followers. Absalom, because of his pride, and by the way, the scripture talks about how he was a beautiful man and uh, how he was so proud of his appearance. He was proud of his stature. He was proud of his accomplishments and his position, but it led to his downfall, his destruction, his death. We see that over and over and over again. Another would be Samson. What a tragedy. Samson, the strongest of men, is recorded in the Old Old Testament, but he was an arrogant, arrogant fellow. He was a Nazarite from birth, which meant his parents had him abstaining from fruit of the vine. He wasn't allowed to go go near dead people or anything that was dead. And he wasn't allowed to cut his hair in accordance with the Nazarite vow set forth in the law of God. But his pride got the better of him. When he saw something that he wanted, he said, I'll take it. Or when he was younger, demanded of his parents that they get it for him. But as life went on, he, he grew so proud and so confident in his ability that he allowed himself to be deceived and his strength taken from him. You know the story of Delilah. How that he married this woman and the Philistines went to her and they demanded that she find out the secret of Samson's strength and they promised to give her great wealth. And she did that. She pressed Samson about this matter and Samson made a comment and of course she went ahead and followed his instructions and he proved that that was incorrect. And that happened three times and you know the story. Until finally he confided in her and said he was a Nazarite from birth. His hair hadn't been cut. And if his hair be cut, his strength would be gone. And sure enough, she had someone come in and cut his hair that night. The next day, the Philistines came into his tent, took him captive, put out his eyes, and made him a prisoner. His pride caused him to fall from the height of popularity and strength and ability to the very basis. Found himself a prisoner of the Philistines. But yet, he had the opportunity to bring down the temple where they met. And as a result, the scripture says, he ended up killing more in his death than in his life. But what cost it was to him to allow his pride, the choices he made because of his arrogance, and how they harmed him. How we need to be careful in this area of making choices. Another choice, if you would, turn over to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, we make choices based on preference. We make choices based on pressure that we receive from others. We make choices based on our own pride. But we also make choices based on preconceptions. You talk to somebody about a particular event and they say, well, I heard it on the evening news, it has to be true. They say, well, that's the way my parents always did it. Or you have to listen to both sides. That's an interesting argument. We'll get to that in just a moment. First John chapter 4, notice these first six verses. Beloved, believe not 
every spirit. But try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Now understand, John is writing this letter to beloved saints in Christ, and he's admonishing them, he's warning them about the perils of following false teachers, of following those who are labeled as apostates by the scripture. And he says, what you need to do is try the spirits. You need to test what they are saying. You need to listen to it and examine what they're saying in light of Scripture. And by the way, that applies to us today. But he goes on to say in verse 2, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. See, here's the test he's putting before them. When you listen to these preachers, when you listen to teachers, when you listen to anybody, and they say, Jesus Christ is God. He's saying, well, then you know they're on the right track. But... He says, if they say Jesus Christ is not God, he says they're wrong. They are the spirit of Antichrist. He's not saying they're the Antichrist. He's saying they are falling in line with the spirit of Antichrist, which means they are against Jesus Christ. We believe Jesus Christ is God the Son and the Son of God. He is every bit man and every bit God, and God took our place on the cross, Jesus Christ dying in our stead that we might have eternal life. That's what made the plan of salvation possible. That's what made it real that God raised from the dead, and as a result, we have the hope that he as well will raise us likewise from the dead. But if somebody comes along and says, no, no, he's a good teacher. He was a great prophet. He's a martyr for the cause, but he's not God. You mark it down. That person is a liar, a false prophet, a wolf in sheep's clothing. And it doesn't matter how popular they are. You see, we get the idea that because someone is popular, they have a huge following, they have a massive support base, they must be right. No, no. What determines whether or not they are right is this book and this book alone. It's not how long they've been alive. It's not how mature they are. It has nothing to do with how many followers they have. It has nothing to do with how wealthy, powerful, or influential they are. It matters what God says about that particular subject that they're pointing out. And the issue here is Jesus Christ is God. I realize that doesn't set well. With the Muslims, the Jews, those who follow the Hindu teaching, or many of the cults. Let's face it, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't believe that Jesus Christ is God. Be careful. Make decisions based on what we know to be right and true. Listen to what they say. That's what Paul or John is saying here. Try the spirits. Put them to the test. The acid test of truth is what Think ye of Christ. Verse 4, you're God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore speak thee of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. 
He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. In speaking with someone about the Lord Jesus Christ, we declare Jesus Christ is God, and they say, I don't believe that. I don't go along with that. I can't accept that. They are of the spirit of error. Doesn't mean there's no hope for them. Just means we can't follow them. We need to be diligent in our witness to everyone and do our best to present the truth so it can be heard, understood, and received by those with whom we come into contact with. But back to this idea, you have to listen to both sides. Is that true? I know people will disagree with this, but but hear me out. Areas involving science, politics, finance, ethics, or even religion, or really any topic, there are folks on both sides of the middle. But this concept, this idea that you have to listen to both sides before you make a decision is just not true. D.L. Moody put it this way. A great many people say you must hear both sides. But if a man should write me a most slanderous letter about my wife, I don't think I would have to read it. I should tear it up and throw it to the winds. Have I to read all the infidel books that are written to hear both sides? Have I to take up a book that is a slander on my Lord and Master who has redeemed me with his blood? Ten thousand times no. I will not touch it. I think that puts it very well. Beloved, if you know the truth, stick with it. Don't allow someone who is promoting error with the idea that you just have to have an open mind. (laughs) No, you don't. Isn't it interesting who people who disagree with us expect us to be tolerant and open-minded. Yet when we disagree with them, what do they do? They shut us off immediately. Beloved, we as God's children need to be bold in our stand for what we know to be right. And it doesn't matter how popular a preacher is or how many people in his listening audience, if he is not preaching the Word of God and falling in line with the truth of Scripture, don't listen to him. Paul said, let him be anathema maranatha. Let him be cursed. The Lord hath come. The Lord is coming again. Let's not allow ourselves to be caught into that. Well, let's move to this last one. Turn, if you would, to James chapter 1. Factors involved in making choices include preference, pressure, pride, preconceptions. How about purity? What is right? Now, I realize this point I've been touching on all along, but... This shouldn't be the last factor in our our decision-making. It should be the first. James chapter 1, verse 13 reads, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. 
Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Beloved, we have a decision as to whether or not we are going to choose to do right. We can't blame it on somebody else. We can't say, he made me do it. She made me do that. No, it's us. It is me that chooses to do wrong. As a young Christian, I wrote in the flyleaf of my, my first Bible, I don't pray because I don't want to. I don't read my Bible because I don't want to. I don't witness because I don't want to. And then on the other hand, I pray because I want to. I read my Bible because I want to. I witness because I want to. You understand, it's a choice. A choice we make every day, whether or not we're going to walk in the path of righteousness and do that which is pleasing to the Lord, or we choose to follow another path. Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Them. The commands, the statutes, the precepts of the word of God. Choosing to do what is right and pleasing to the Lord. Philippians 4.8, Paul summed it up this way, saying, Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and there be any praise, think on these things. Roger Green Stated, wherever your heart is, there your feet will soon take you. It's that heart that drives us. Someone has said, the basis of our decisions is not choosing what to believe, but who to believe. I've given you quotes by a number of different individuals. I'll give you one of my own. I make so many foolish decisions because I love me so much. Choose to do right, choose to love the Lord. We choose the things we do because of preference, pressure, pride, preconceptions, or purity. Close with this illustration. Dr. Pierce Harris, a pastor in Atlanta, Georgia, a number of years ago, was invited to speak to some prisoners in the prison there near Atlanta. One of the prisoners was allowed to introduce him before he spoke And he did so saying this, and this is a quote. Several years ago, two boys lived in a town in North Georgia. They went to the same school, played together, and attended the same Sunday school. One dropped out of Sunday school and said it was sissy stuff. The other boy kept going. One rejected Christ, the other accepted him. The boy who rejected Christ is making this introduction today. The boy who accepted Christ is the honored guest who will speak to us today. Choices. Why do we choose to do the things we do? Sheldon Smith once said, when you ignore the word of God, 
and defy the will of God. You have chosen a way that makes you a sitting duck and an easy target for the assault of Satan upon your life. And in the words of Dr. Seuss, you have brains in your head, you have feet in your shoes, you can steer yourself in any direction you choose.